Failure is inevitable. It's unavoidable. Everybody's tried things that have failed throughout their lives from the baby taking their first steps to someone starting a new business and taking their first steps in that. You know, Thomas Edison, the inventor of many things that uh, use electricity, tried to deny his own failures, saying, I've not failed. I've just found 10,000 things that don't work. Well, people fail. Businesses fail. The electricity in Kurdistan fails. Governments fail. Marriages fail. People fail. Every human and everything humans make will, at some point, fail. Perhaps you hear echoes of the book of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And you may even be thinking, wow, Pastor David, off to a great start this afternoon. I'm sure we're all going to leave encouraged today. Well, listen, I actually do hope to leave you encouraged today. But if we rely on human solutions, life will be discouraging. You know, since the beginning of creation, human efforts have failed. And this has led to broken relationships with God and with others. In today's passage, as he did on Abram's journey in, back in chapter 12, God again steps into the middle of failure of a human solution. Here in chapter 16, it begins with Abram, Sarah's wife. But this story focuses not on Abram and Sarah, but on another character, Hagar. My hope today for us church is that we'll see that following our own human solutions will fail and make a mess of everything. But when we turn to Christ, when we follow his ways, we'll enjoy both freedom and peace. His ways, you know, are higher than our, our ways. And his plans are better than our plans. Now, God will not leave his children alone. Having stepped out to seek and to save the lost, he promises to be with those who call on him in faith. And that's you know, the main point of the sermon that I want to get across to you today is that human plans fail, but the Lord seeks and sees the broken. Human plans fail, but the Lord seeks and sees the broken. Now, this story in chapter 16 has two episodes or two sections. The first uh, is in verses 1 to 6, and we're going to call that human plans. The second is verses 7 through 16, and that is where the Lord seeks and sees the broken. Well, the story begins in verse 1, announcing what we've already known from Genesis eleven thirty that Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. That's still the case. But God had told Abram in chapter 12, verse 7, that he would have offspring. 
And in fact, in 1316, that they would be as many as the dust of the earth, unable to be counted. And then in chapter 15, 4, God said that Abram's heir would come from his own flesh and blood. In the very next verse, that his offspring would be uncountable, just like the stars in the sky. Now here in, in verse 3, we're told that Abram's been in Canaan for 10 years. That makes him 85 years old. He's an old man. And ten, for 10 years, he and Sarai have been waiting for the Lord to deliver on his promises. Well, here we find Sarai, desperate. And she's had enough of waiting. So, in verse 2, she conceives a plan to build Abram's family. And this begins our first episode, human plans. At the end of verse 1, we're introduced to this new character, the Egyptian slave named Hagar. Now, names are important in the Bible, of course, and in this chapter in particular, we have many names. Hagar is a Hebrew name meaning flight or run away, or an alternative name meaning is forsaken. It's the first indication that bad news is coming. And the first readers would have understood immediately something is not right with Sarai and her solution. Well, we see it. First, she blames God for her barrenness. According to the scriptures now, of course, it is true that the Lord is the one who opens or closes the womb. But notice the tone. The Lord has kept me from having children. It carries that accusation that God has been unfair. Secondly, she provides her own solution. God had just made a covenant with Abram in the last chapter, suggesting that he is planning something untypical, unusual to bring offspring. But Sarai, she doesn't feel like the Lord's going to let her bear children. So she trusts a typical human solution to provide offspring for Abram. You see, Sarah's solution was a human plan based on the culture of the day. It, may, it sounds strange to our ears what she does here, but it would have been quite normal in her world. A wealthy woman's slave was considered her own property, so giving that woman to her husband, any children that were born from her would be counted to the wife. But as she does this, Sarai puts her own marriage at great risk. Now, the third thing that we see here is, a, it's, it's harder to see, but it's a, a literary connection to the fall, to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve. Moses, the author of Genesis, tells this story in chapter 16 in a way that clearly takes us back to Genesis chapter 3. In both stories, women 
are taking the initiative and they are the main speakers. In both stories, we see this taking and giving. Here in verse 3, Sarah took Hagar and gave her to her husband. Back in, in Genesis 3, Eve took the fruit and gave it to her husband. In these stories, both men silently agree. As Adam listened to the voice of his wife, rather than the voice of God, so does Abram. So does Abram. And we see with Sarai's solution that that human plans that do not consider God's word lead us away from the Lord. I want you to remember that. Human plans that do not consider God's word lead us away from the Lord. You know, clearly God revealed his will in words to Adam. You may eat all the trees but one. Clearly God spoke his covenant to Abram. I will bring offspring from your own flesh and blood. I, God, will do that. And friends, God's word is clearly available to us today. Don't rely on your own human plans and cultural practices. Listen to God's word and do what he says. Do whatever you can to hear God's word or to read it, all of it. You know, study it in full. Come to the reaching and teaching training. His word is right. Even if at times it's not clear to you. It is always right. Better to wait on him than to make your own human plans. Now, just a a word or two on some of the things we see here. One, on barrenness. Sarai's pain, you know, that wondering if or when the Lord was going to open her womb, that's real. And this pain is as real today as it was then. If you are feeling the pain of not being able to have children, I want to encourage you, don't Keep that to yourself. Many are here who will walk with you, who will join you in prayer and seek the Lord for a solution, for his solution, not a human solution, a solution that calls on his grace. Now, a word about marriage. As described in Genesis chapter 2, and later it's affirmed in Matthew 19 by Jesus Marriage is a God-ordained covenant relationship between one woman and one man. Having more than one wife is not God's way. My wife and I have lived in the Middle East for over 20 years now, and we've seen how that cultural practice of multiple wives threatens relationships It's one of the greatest fears of women living here under this cultural practice, that second wife. 
Uh, so marriage is between one woman, one man, one woman. Now, while we're on marriage, God's word in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, says, do not be unequally yoked. That means attached to unbelievers. So if you are a Christian, you should only marry a believer. Not one who simply identifies as a Christian, but one who actually understands this gospel that we preach the same way that we do. Far too many folks that I know, I mean, we've been in ministry for years, we've seen have been impatient about marriage with unbelievers. In most cases, as the years go by, they've been led away from the fruitful relationship with the Lord that they once enjoyed. Well, as we continue on, verses 4 to 6, uh, Hagar's life changes when she conceives, as you'd expect. But here again, we see Sarai's human solution actually leads to more sin and the breaking of every relationship. First, it's those two women, right? Hagar sinfully despises Sarai. Now, to despise, it means to, to put low or to curse She's actually looking down on Sarai's barrenness in a mean-spirited pride. You know, sisters, don't, don't kick your sister when she's down. Well, secondly, there's Sarai and Abram, okay? In, in a way, Sarah rightly lays blame on Abram for all the wrong that she's suffering, as she says there. Like Adam, Abram listened to the voice of his wife when he should have rejected her offer by faith in the Lord's word. Husbands, just a word to you husbands. Listen to your wife, but lead her and your family in the word of the Lord. Now, Sarah's attitude here is completely wrong. Her attitude is, you feel it in the way she's talking with her husband, right? And then in verse 5, she ends with this, this warning. May the Lord judge between you and me. It's as if she's saying, I'm not wrong, you are. Oh boy, at this point in the story, we're, we're feeling Sarai and Abram's marriage is in great danger. And, and, and Abram, he's like, whoa, he's seeking to pass on Sarah's anger, right? He, he deflects it to Hagar and say, you know, there in verse six, he says, you know, your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. And with that, Sarai unleashes great mistreatment upon Hagar. You know, these, these verses actually, it reads so fast that it's easy to miss the significance of Sarai's abuse. What does Hagar do? She flees. She runs. She's running for fear of her life. 
or maybe she's just so overwhelmed with the abuse, she's ready to throw away her job, her home, her husband, the, the, any chance for her baby to have a father. She gets up and she flees back to Egypt. You see, Sarai's human solution and everyone's proud reactions in the middle of that, they affect every relationship. It's total disaster. I'm sad to say we see human solutions and proud reactions all the time, even in the church. The way Hagar treated Sarai was fueled by pride, and friends, that pride comes straight from Satan's heart. So run away from any hint of pride in your own heart and imitate Christ. Imitate Christ who is humble and gentle and kind. You know, Matthew's gospel quotes Isaiah when it says of Jesus, he will not he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You know, unlike Jesus, whose speech was gentle and kind, the world and the people of the world, they just want to be first, number one. It's all this pride. And they compete in coming up with the best put-downs, Right? Or coming up with a joke that makes other people feel low. Friends, how we speak to one another is important, especially when there's been an offense. Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Church, how we treat one another matters to God. He cares about that. The church is, you got to understand, the church is not a gathering of people who are perfect, Yes, we have been declared righteous by our Father in heaven, but we, friends, are all works in progress. We, we are being made holy. We are not yet arrived. Therefore, we should expect that at some time we will offend others and they will offend us, even in the church. You know, when Sarai was offended, she unleashed her fury on Hagar. And Hagar had done wrong. But Sarai was convinced in her own heart that Hagar deserved it. Sarai was acting in sin just like Satan, and according to the world's ways, not according to God's ways. Brothers and sisters, acting toward one another with proud, unkind words 
is a disgrace to God. It dishonors Christ and it grieves his Holy Spirit. But I am convinced of better for you. I am convinced that where God is honored, where Christ is imitated, where the Holy Spirit is obeyed, there will be humility, repentance, forgiveness, mercy extended, and reconciliation achieved. I'm convinced of better in you, church, because I believe where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. I believe in better from you, church, because I believe that God is at work in you. Now, Hagar, Sarah's slave, she didn't have the gospel like we do. The gospel is a model for reconciliation. Hagar didn't feel safe in Sarai's home, even though it was her own home too. It was an abusive situation. So she left Abram, even though she was his bride too. Well, let's pick up now with the second episode in this story where Hagar meets the angel of the Lord. It's our second point. The Lord sees and see, seeks and sees the broken. Okay, so Hagar is on her way back to Egypt. And verse 7 opens with the angel of the Lord finding Hagar. Yeah, Hagar's not looking for the Lord. He finds her. He finds her by spring in the desert on the road to Shur, which is on the way to Egypt. And this angel speaks four times. First, he has a couple questions in verse 8. You see that? Hey, the, clearly, the angel knows her. He says, Hagar, slave of Sarai. He knows her. And then his questions. Where have you come from? Where are you going? You understand, though, that you know, the one who knows all things doesn't need this information. <laughs> the, these questions are about her origin and her destiny. They're for Hagar to consider. It, it's like God's questions to Adam back in Genesis 3. Remember, he said, Adam, where are you? Have you eaten the fruit? God knew, he knew the answer. He asks those questions to stir the thoughts. And I would say, church, these are questions we need to ask ourselves. Who does God say that you are? Where are you from? Where are you going? What's your origin? God created you in his image to, to, to display his likeness in the world. You were made to reflect his holiness and glory. What's your destiny? Uh, as the offspring of Adam, you see, 
we're all destined for hell. Hell, because God's justice demands it. Our ancestor, Adam, listened to a human voice rather than listening to the command of God, and we too do the same. We follow human solutions rather than God's word, God's ways. But the way to heaven has been opened through God's word. It's come to us. That way is revealed in his word through his son, the child of promise. And he says there in John 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How is Jesus the way? Well, he lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. The sin and rebellion that came through Adam, you see, we've all participated in. There's none that are righteous, not even one. And therefore, we needed God's help, God's solution. Jesus died for us and for our salvation against the wrath of God that our sins deserve. Jesus is the truth. How do we know that? He rose from the dead on the third day. The resurrection proves, one, that his sacrifice for us was acceptable by God. Two, that everything that he said is true. And three, that he can bring us into the eternal life that he himself promised. He doesn't just bring us life. Jesus is the life. He, he is the life. Now it's up to you to respond, to walk in his way. And it starts with believing that good news. Jesus did his part on the cross and in the resurrection. And friend, I want, I want you to hear this. God knows you. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows where you come from, where are you going. He sees and he seeks those who are broken because of their sin. Are you broken because of your sin? Will you admit that who you are in sin as a sinner and humbly turn from your sin through faith in Jesus to follow Jesus, to follow him? Will you admit that and turn to him today? You can do that. It's what Hagar does. It's what she does, in a way. She, she exposes herself at the end of, of verse 8. Did you see that? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. She's admitting where she's come from and her sin. So first, the angel questions, and then secondly, he commands. Verse 9. The angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. <laughs> that cannot be a pleasant command for Hagar to hear. 
I mean, that was a toxic relationship. You've heard of toxic relationships? This is one. And, and, and in fact, there's no hint, not even a hint, that God is going to make it any better for Hagar. And friend, I want to, I maybe this is good news, maybe this is bad news to you. Jesus doesn't promise to make your life better if you follow him. In fact, he says, anyone who would follow me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But he does promise better. His, he promises his presence. He says, surely I am with you to the very end of the age. He may not take you out of the pain, but he will be with you in it and through it. Believer, have you prayed that your situation would change, but it's just the same? Are you feeling trapped in a toxic relationship? God may just call you to stay as he did with Hagar. But even then, even then, he promises to be with you in this age. You not only have his presence, but you have the body of Christ, the church, to pray with you, to, to have ears to listen to you, to have arms of comfort to wrap around you. Responding to abuse, it, it doesn't come with a kind of a one-size-fits-all solution, okay? Every case requires wisdom to know what to do, how to, how to follow the Lord in it. We need God's word and godly counsel in that. So I want to encourage you to talk to the elders if you're going through something like that. Understand that, that they may not know everything, but they can help you to pray and to plan for a godly response. So talk to your elders. All right, the angel asks questions. He gives commands, and then he adds blessings. In verse 10, you see that? Hagar's life is changing again. It's the same blessing the Lord spoke to Abram back in chapter 13, 16. I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. For Hagar, for Hagar, as, as she hears those words, what it means to her is my child will live. My child will live. As Abram's first child, Ishmael is blessed as Abram is blessed. But we will see later in Genesis that he will be driven away from the inheritance of Abram. It, it kind of reminds me of those who are so close, but so far from the kingdom of God today. Have you been seeking the blessings of God, but you've not received his promise? What I mean is, do you seek the blessings of being near the family, the love and the kindness, the positivity, the peace that is here 
in the family of God, but you have not become God's child yourself through faith in Jesus. Oh, to be so close and yet denied the inheritance of the kingdom of God because you're holding on to your old life and you failed to follow Christ. I can't think of something more sad. If that is you, give up your life and follow the one who gave up his life for you. Give it up and follow. And church, I want to encourage you, especially you parents, as you share this gospel with others or share it with your children, make sure that you don't leave them just short of repentance and faith and truly becoming Christian. You know, just being able to repeat gospel themes or, or being obedient to some biblical command, that is not the goal. We're, we're praying for hearts transformed that respond by the Holy Spirit to the message of Christ. That's what we're praying for. Hmm. First, the questions. Then the angel gives a command. And then he adds blessings. And finally, he adds, or he also gives, a name. A name. In verses 11 and 12, the angel affirms that Hagar is pregnant, as if she didn't know. He reveals the baby's gender, which she didn't know. And then he gives her a name that she's to call this child. And he predicts what he will become. Now that name, Ishmael, means the Lord hears. The Lord hears. And that is going to be a constant reminder that God has heard Hagar's misery. You know, every time Hagar calls out, Ishmael, Ishmael, she's going to remember that God understands. Every, when things get hard as, as they will, when Hagar returns to Sarai and she's sitting down alone, comforting that child, singing over him maybe, that name will remind her what the angel said that day by the spring. God has heard your misery. He has not forgotten Now, this, this prediction of Ishmael's life, it sounds, again, strange to our modern ears. I mean, really, to call someone a wild donkey, that would be an insult today. But for Hagar, the slave, it was joy to her ears because Ishmael would be free. Ishmael, my son, will be free. But that freedom is going to come at a cost. He would live in hostility toward all his brothers. He would have freedom, but not peace. Hagar's life was slavery without peace. Ishmael's got it somewhat better. He's got freedom without peace. But friends, that is not the hope that was lost in the garden by Adam and Eve. 
Moses' first readers, you see, had experienced, they had experienced slavery without peace for 400 years in Egypt. But with God's deliverance into the wilderness, they finally were free. But you know, within about oh, a few weeks, maybe less than a month, when they're walking in that freedom, they were begging to go back to Egypt. Freedom without peace is not better. Friends, God brings the hope of peace with freedom through his covenant love and promise. You know, hints of this hope arose throughout Israel's history. You see that throughout the Old Testament, but it's finally fulfilled in Christ. He is the son of promise. Jesus said in John 8, 36, he says, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And later in the same book, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. You know, Hagar's fear was calmed when God came near. And from that time, she began to call the Lord a name. She gave him the name there in in verse 13. The God who sees me. Oh, isn't that beautiful? The God who sees me. Closing this section out, she names the well of that place, Beer Lahai Roy, the well of the living one who sees me. And then the chapter ends with a solution to the problem that we saw in verse 1 about Sarai not being able to bear children. Three times in verses 15 and 16, Moses repeats that Abram now has a son. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. It's as if Moses is shouting, to us. This is Abram's child. Though he's not the child of promise. He's the child of Sarai's human solution. I, I just want to encourage you to open back up to page six and, and look at that song. Come, O come all you unfaithful. It fits so well with the passage today. You know, Sarai was barren and waiting. She was weary of praying for Abram's offspring. She was bitter and broken, waiting for a promise. Hagar was guilty, hiding, running away. Sarai's human solution thrust upon her. It became a source of relational tension, even abuse. So that when she was called back, she had nothing. Friend, do you feel no one understands, no one cares? 
Are you in the midst of some struggle and you just want freedom or peace or both? Don't pursue human solutions. Christ was born. Christ came. And He knows you by name. You know, in this world, we will still have trouble. But friends, take heart. Jesus knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows where you're from. He knows what you've been through and what you're going through right now. Friend, remember Hagar. Remember Hagar. She was comforted by the God who sought her and who sees the broken. And with that, she was able to go back into a difficult situation and endure whatever life would bring. Friends, call on the God who sees you. Cry out to the God who hears your misery. Trust not in your own solutions, but in the God who came to seek and to save the lost, who gave his only son to secure both our freedom and our peace. Our human plans will fail, but the Lord seeks and sees the broken. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, when we, we, we sit here and we, we, we review Hagar's life, her world, the brokenness of it, the pain, the abuse, when we think about our own situations, Lord, sometimes we don't know what to cry out. And Lord, we see that our human solutions, our human plans, our cultural ways of doing things, they just don't work. So Lord, I pray that we would be people of humility, that we would be people who would imitate Christ, that we would be people who would follow your word. Lord, I pray for any here who don't know you, that they would seek you because you have sought for them. Lord, those who feel broken, that they would come to you and find healing because you are the one who sees and seeks the broken. Lord, for those who do know you, I pray that we would not put our trust in human solutions, but in your word and your ways. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.